Welcome into the GT Counter Podcast. My name is Tyler Edsel, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, man on the ground, boots on the ground, man, my guy Grayson Winters. Grayson, welcome back. It is good to see you again. Long time no see. Yeah, you know, it's been a long uh, a long 12 hours without my boy Ed around. Um, the boys had a nice afternoon stroll over to Cowboys Stadium, followed by a little afternoon at Pluckers. Uh, nothing wrong with a couple of wings, a couple of beers, and a little bit of football. Everybody loves that, I think. It was a banner day for the boys yesterday. Just an all-time fun day out in the the media center at AT&T Stadium. We were on the ground there in the last five minutes. And then, of course, wrapping it up with some pluckers at the end of the day. They're, it's like the perfect day. I, I don't think I could script it any better. Could you? Oh, absolutely not. I mean... It was ideal. We showed up super early. We pull into the uh, into this game at what eight eight thirty nine o'clock, and the Arkansas fans are out and about uh, somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand Arkansas fans out there tailgating. And if you know Arkansas, you know those boys like to party. So they were getting after it early. We, on the other hand, were not. Um, went in the press box and had ourselves some. Some good food and a little bit of a little bit of football to watch. So we got after it a little bit in there, but nothing too serious. It was it was a good time for sure. A, a different kind of getting after it, I would say. Yeah, not 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 drinking. I apologize. Let me let me tap the brakes. <laughs> we are we are getting after football knowledge, not uh, you know, we are observing the field, not not getting hammered like the Arkansas fans. That's right. That's right. But. Uh... We can get into the press box here in a minute. Let's go ahead and jump right into the weekend recap. Uh, one thing that stood out from the weekend, it can be, you know, yesterday being on site. It can be you're Irish. I'm sure you're excited to talk about a big win there. So really anything you can go with this one. Now, what stood out from this weekend? I think the biggest thing that stood out for me this weekend has to be us being uh, boots on the ground at Jerryland. I think there's just, there's no better, uh, there's no better thing to talk about. I mean, first first big time professional experience for us. You know, we get out there. They took us a little bit to uh, to figure out how to how to get up to the uh, the star suite. But after uh, after numerous trips trips to uh, both sides of the field, we figured it out. Uh, we actually checked in and picked up our credentials. And college football playoff staff is in front of us picking up their stuff. That was that was pretty cool and. You know, it was, it was a really, really good time all in all. We're sitting in the press box overlooking the whole entire field. I mean, you could see – it's a completely different angle from up there. I mean, you can see everything. You can see everything everybody is doing. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing to sit up there and be able to have an overlook of the whole entire field. You can see all 22 players and exactly where they're lined up. And it's, it's pretty cool, not going to lie to you. Yeah, it was an outstanding time, and you know, shout out to all the the friendly members of the media up there, and uh, some friendly faces that we were able to meet and catch up with again. So, a uh, shout out to everybody up there in the media center for welcoming our dumb selves with open arms. Uh, we were on the same row as a bunch of those uh, NFL scouts. I mean, we were on the same row as three uh, Pittsburgh Steelers scouts, and then we saw numerous other teams on site, uh, kind of across the way. So. That was a little bit surreal to see. Uh, couldn't check in on many of their notes, but uh, they were there at least. Yeah, there was a there was a ton of scouts there. I was kind of I was kind of surprised 
to see that many guys at, I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised to see that many guys at A&M Arkansas, but you know, I was, I was a little bit, a little bit surprised to see what we saw probably eight NFL scouts there, eight N, from different teams, at least. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy to see all those guys there. I know, uh, I know our guy in the, the Pittsburgh Steelers scout, he wasn't biased at all wearing his Texas A&M up and down and, Guy launches his hat when they got a pick six to Arkansas gets a pick six to start the second half. So that was something something to see. But it was it was a really cool experience. And uh, you know, all in all, couldn't be more thankful and really want to give a shout out to the Cotton Bowl um for letting us in and giving us an opportunity to uh, you know, show what we have as a as a podcast. So that's really, really cool of those guys. That's right. And uh, full transparency, we did record a pod at the uh, at the press box yesterday, but Sam Pittman and his voluptuous chests were uh, being loudly displayed over the intercom in the press center. So uh, all you could hear on the audio was Sam Pittman talking about the game. But uh, luckily, uh, there was at least one media member who was listening, the guy in front of us. I believe his name was Scott. He, he turned around and said, uh, hey, that was really good. You guys are you guys are doing good stuff. So. Shout out to you, Scott. We appreciate you. And if you ever do listen to the pod, uh, thank you for that. That uh, that was really encouraging to hear. Yeah, I completely agree. I thought it was really cool when he turned around and thought it was really funny. He's uh he's from McAllen, uh, McAllen, Texas, which is just my college roommate all the way through. Was born and raised in Edinburgh, and if y'all know, if y'all know the valley, you know Edinburgh's right right next to McAllen. So I just you know we we talked it up for a little bit, and he talked a little bit about. Um, Texas A&M Kingsville and how they're doing really well, I believe. I don't know if they lost this weekend or not, but a D2 school that was really, really bad, and now they're really, really good. They got a new head coach, and they were undefeated um, to, to this point. Don't know what they did this weekend, obviously, but they were undefeated. So it was cool to chat up with, uh, with him. Really, really nice guy. Absolutely, 100%. So uh, other things from the press box. Got to say, the media food, the media buffet – just truly outstanding stuff. I mean, I didn't get a chance to get the mac and cheese, but I mean, it looked pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, you missed out on the mac. That uh, that first round of, of food they had for us early, as soon as we got there, a little prime rib, mac and cheese. I mean, it was it was some top tier, some top tier stuff up there off the rip. And then they flipped around and nice little taco bar, little little burger, little, little burger sliders, you know, it, Ed loves the burger sliders. He's all about those. And I had to put my boy, we, Ed on the, we uh, love the burger slider. I had to put my boy Ed on the, they had little cake balls in there that were just, you know, that's, that's a guilty pleasure there for me. I'm not much into sweets, but you got a nice little cake ball in there. It's, it's over with. So. If you know me, you know red velvet is a big time weakness of mine. And gosh, those red velvet cake balls were just fantastic. Straight out of like it was bakery quality stuff. Yeah, Reed's gonna hear that they had uh they had red velvet cake balls at the uh there and he's just gonna be in tears later on. Shambles, truly. Mm-hmm. So uh let's go ahead and get into the game a little bit. Uh Texas A&M ended up pulling away in the second half and winning 34 to 22 uh, in a game that really I wouldn't say was even that close as the score would make it sound. Uh, you look at the uh, the game as a whole and uh, Texas A&M outgained Arkansas by over 200 yards. Um, 
you know, Arkansas ran the ball 39 times for 42 yards. And uh, I don't know if, Grayson, you want to pitch in there, but uh, sources are telling me that's not very good. Yeah, um, we're sitting up there in the in the press box overlooking the game, and you run the ball against this this Texas A and M defensive line is pretty stout. They got some they got some dudes up front, so don't don't I mean don't get me wrong on this, but why do we keep running the ball? I mean, you have thirty seven rushes for forty two yards, which is one point one yards per carry. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me to continue to just juice the ball. I mean what, you maybe get 60, 60, 70 plays in a game and half of those they ran the ball and they're only getting a yard of carry? I mean, there's it's there's no wonder they lose this game. And there's no wonder they don't have any offensive play all day. I mean, realistically, they scored 12 points offensively. They had a pick six to start the second half. And then um, quarterback for AM Max Johnson, fumbles the ball and – on like the 30-yard line, Arkansas doesn't advance the ball a single yard and just kicks a field goal. So Texas A&M gave them 10. And Texas A&M comes out and misses two field goals. So really this game should have been 40-12. to 12. They missed two easy field goals. I mean, not even, not over 40 yards. Two easy field goals. It's just A&M simple, single-handedly dominated this game the whole entire time. And Arkansas comes out and they were like, well, you know, maybe we'll we'll throw the ball deep on the last drive of the game and throws a what a forty eight yard touchdown on one of the last plays of the game. I'm like, oh man, look, you guys can throw the ball. It's crazy. KJ Jefferson throws the ball. Oh, it just it just doesn't make any sense. There, some of their, I'll I'll let Etzel get into their their fourth down and one call after they take the punt team off the field. But if you know anything, I mean, it's they can't run the ball, so I'll let Etzel get into this fourth down and one. I mean, so it's the second quarter, and Arkansas is searching for momentum, but the game is by no means out of reach. I believe it was uh, 10 to 6 at this point after AM had just missed a field goal. Uh, they doinked one off the upright, and so Arkansas gets the ball back. Uh, they don't really do anything with it, and it's fourth and six. So they get the punt team out there, they punt it away, but uh, AM is offsides on the play. So Sam Pittman, as he should, brings the offense back out on the field to try to kind of recapture some momentum, keep the drive going. However, on that fourth and one, they get KJ Jefferson, who is just an absolute unit. He's like six foot five, 250 pounds. One of the fastest players on the field and one of the biggest players on the field. And yet they get him in the shotgun and they run a horizontal run. They don't let the lineman get downhill to go block for him. They don't let KJ and his big self go downfield. And they don't have Rocket Sanders back there going downhill. Like, what are we doing with that play call? You aren't setting up your guys for success. And it was like that multiple times. There was one very – we both remember sitting there. It was because it was on our end of the field when we were in the press box. It was third and one at like the four. Arkansas's deep in A&M's red zone. And yet they send KJ out there in the gun, which is fine. They've been in the gun the whole game so far. And at this point they were still moving the ball. So – didn't really have too much issue with it there in the first quarter. But they they it's third and one. They drop them back to pass, it looks like, because the receivers at the top there were running goal line fades. It looked like KJ was like, these things aren't open and just runs it like a draw. Like it was the the most confusing play call of the whole game. It was it was so weird to see what they were doing there on those short yardage plays. I just I'm not sure what their goal was. It looked just 
there wasn't any conviction in the play the there wasn't any there wasn't anything good about it it was just like truly like the word that comes to mind is just feeble like it was just a feeble attempt i think that i think before that play that their offensive play call wasn't that bad they were running they were running the ball a little bit they were passing it they were moving the ball right down the other team's throat by passing it and running it back and forth and that arkansas that texas a&m pass rush started getting to him and seven sacks on the day started getting to him because they can't run the ball. And they throw a screen in the screen bus for like 38 yards. And I'm like, okay, this is good off it. That's good offensive play call there. Yada, yada, yada. They keep running plays. And like Edsel said, when they get to that third down, I think it was third down and eight from the third down and goal from the eight. And they go to run this draw play. And it's just like, what are we doing? It's third and eight. Why aren't you throwing the ball? Why aren't you running a slant or something? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to run draw on third and eight. I mean, I guess I expect the unexpected, try to catch this defense out of out of position, but really what happened is you took a six more yard loss because the defense was in the backfield in two seconds to grab him. So it just doesn't even make any sense. The the play calls all day long really and I understand and me and me and Tyler were talking about this up there is they couldn't run the ball, so they were trying to get they were trying to pass the ball, but they didn't have any time because Texas AM's pass rush was getting there so fast and it's Got if if the if the interior's rough, spread the ball out so they can't blitz. Start running jet sweeps. Start running tosses out wide. Start throwing screen balls. Start throwing bubble something. You gotta you gotta spread out that defense. You can't let them load the box with seven dudes and ring the house every single time. And it, that's just basically what happened. And we'll talk about another game in a second where where that also happened. Um, but you know. Duke had a good game plan. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, different different level there for sure. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, I was – Arkansas's defense did not look bad. They didn't look nearly as bad as they did against LSU the week prior. But offensively, these guys just do not have the juice. They're just – they're rough offensively. That is That is for sure. Yeah, it looked like Arkansas had a good first like opening script of the game. They moved the ball. They had it, gosh, they had it for over eight minutes, and they ran 15 plays on their first drive, but only were able to kick a 52-yard field goal, which it's a good thing Arkansas's kicker is a stud, Cam Little. Otherwise, they would have they would have some serious problem getting points on the board because yeah. that dude nailed two 50-yard field goals, and they would have been good from 60-plus. He did. He nailed. I mean, cranked that first field goal he had. He cranked that thing from way deep. Um, yeah, it was. Texas A and M is a team that before this game we probably didn't think was a very good team. We probably thought, you know, Jimbo, Jimbo, Texas A and M. They're a very middle of the road team. They might win seven games. They might win eight. Who knows? They're they're a pretty they're a pretty decent team. They're actually probably. They actually are probably a legit team. Do they deserve to be in the top 25 right now? I'm not sure. But I think there could be a argument that they could be in the top 25. I mean, they're one lost Texas A&M team that lost to – who did they lose to, oh, Tyler? Uh, they lost to Miami on the road. That's what it by was. By 15. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're a bad team by any means. They seemed really, really well. Either that or Arkansas just has us fooled because they're really, really bad. But – you know, I thought AM looked really, really good. I thought they were size Etzel talked about this and I'll let him get into it, but size and speed wise, these guys are just different in the SEC. 
You want to, especially on the defensive lines. Like you look at their edge rushers, and they're all six five, six six, two eighty, and yet they're out there running four sevens, and they're running the hoop on these big tackles, and are just absolutely steamrolling these these Arkansas tackles. I mean, seven sacks, multiple disruptions in the backfield in terms of. You know, the run game, we mentioned it, 1.1 yards per carry. And they really didn't even have to blitz. They were just being able to get this pressure with the four guys up front. It was truly impressive to see. And uh, that was the one thing, and uh, we can go ahead and get into this now. When we were down there at field level, like uh, Arkansas was uh, on defense after they scored that long passing touchdown. And uh, so they kick an onside kick, they don't get it. And then Texas A&M cranks off a big run to get down inside the five. So these are these four downs that are happening right as time's about to expire. It's inside the two minutes. These guys are right in our face. Like Grayson, they were what twenty yards from us. The, the yeah, linebackers were, were, were probably were, ten yards from us. Yeah, they were really, really close. I mean, we're standing right behind the goal line, and they had, they got stopped four times in the in the end zone on that one play, or that one the drive to end the game. They got stopped four times in the goal line on the one, and we're standing right behind the right behind the field goal, dang near. Yeah, and so I remember pointing it out to you, uh, Jeff Coat, number seven, Arkansas's de- defensive end over there. I was like, oh, my God, that dude is huge. And, like, A&M has those guys. Arkansas has those guys. But it's just like, holy cow, dude. Those dudes are impressive. Yeah, they were uh, – they seem to be a little bit uh, a little bit of a different breed out there. I know Etzel was talking about K.J. Jefferson walking off the field, and this guy looks like he's – he just looks like a freaking alien. I mean, he is just gigantic. He's a freaking gargantuan. He's he's every bit a 6'5", 240. I mean, just massive. His arm, for a quarterback, I mean, this dude is unbelievably big. It was, it, it's honestly, looking at him after the game, it shocked me that this deep, that he couldn't run the ball by himself, whatever you wanted to do. You know, it's it, it was crazy. It was crazy. To see a guy that speed, that height, uh, that like big, be able to run that fast, like that dude's an alien. Yeah, he's he's a freak. He's a freak, and he had a freaking electric arm. And I don't know why they weren't letting him throw the ball, but I guess that's why I don't get paid the big bucks to coach at the University of Arkansas. So I'll uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. They're uh, got some stuff going on over in Arkansas, and. I'm sure at some point in time they might get a good coach that wants to coach out there, so we'll see. Yep, facts. So uh, anything else from the day, the game, that uh, that you feel like you needed to, to to get out there in the open? I think one other thing, and we saw this so many times during the game on Saturday, but <clears throat> the OCs around the country need to stop running the ball on second down and three. It doesn't make any sense to run the ball on second down and three. Try to take a shot. Try to take a top off. Throw the ball on second down and three. Please. You, If you can't run the ball for three yards on third down and three, you deserve to go four now. I mean, you do. Throw the ball. Hum the ball down the field on second down. Let one loose. You know, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can only play conservative for so long, and that's what Arkansas was doing, and that's why they got beat. We're trying to play too conservative the whole entire game, and then you look up in the fourth quarter, and you're like, damn, we're down by 17 what are we supposed to do? We can't run the ball. How are we supposed to get back in the game? We can't move the ball on the ground. Throw the ball. That's how you get back in the game. Unbelievable. Sorry. Exactly. I I can't. We had to have seen probably 20 second and shorts inside of five yards. And 
if if we got a dollar for every time that they ran the ball and got stuff for a yard or less, like we could have we could have made a lot of money on that game. <laughs> like it was it was ridiculous the play calling. Like I, I truly don't understand it. Yeah, the over still hit on the game, and like Etzel always says, if you're in pre- if you're in the presence of the game, you always take the over. And indeed, we did take the over. Let's talk about a game that if you took the over, you definitely hit this week. Uh, moving on to LSU Ole Miss. What are your uh, what are your thoughts on this? Just absolutely, who has the ball last uh, last kind of game, Ed? Yeah, that was a game that uh, I would lovingly describe as blackout drunk. Um, there was a lot going on in that game from an offensive perspective. I mean, the teams combined for over 1,300 total yards of offense. Uh, they combined for over 100 points. And there for a while it looked like LSU uh, had this thing under wraps. They were up 49-40 late in the game, but uh, – you know, Ole Miss was able to climb back into it. They were able to get a timely stop for once. And, uh, man, Jackson Dart and that run game. I mean, basically everything about Ole Miss's offense was incredible. Uh, they ran the ball for, you look at it, 317 rushing yards and 389 passing yards for a total of 706 yards. I mean, what else could you possibly ask for? They didn't get sacked. They didn't turn the ball over. It's quite literally the perfect offensive game. Like, there's nothing you can do to beat that. And regardless of how good LSU was offensively, which they were great, they threw it for 400, they ran it for 200, and uh, it wasn't enough. It was it was a sight to behold. That game, it probably deserved overtime, but Brian Kelly and some decision-making there at the end, uh, it led to an Ole Miss win. So uh, shout-out to the Rebels. They uh, – able to get a big, big win against LSU and effectively end their chance at becoming a playoff team. And uh, Ole Miss is very much alive in their division out in the SEC. Yeah, I could, I completely agree with that. The thing, I think when you go and look at this stat line, you look at the fact that there was 163 players ran on offense, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I talk. I, I remember talking to you, or we were talking four seconds ago, how an average team probably runs, you know, 60 plays in a game. These teams out here were running 88 plays and 75 plays. That's just absolutely unbelievable how much offense there was and how little defense was being played in this. You know, LSU fans argue that LSU is DBU, and I think after watching this game, you could see that LSU's, uh, LSU's corners were getting beat 15 yards on every single cut that was made. It was just – I mean, there's there's just no defense played in this game. You know, Jackson Dart just delivering the ball to wide-open guys that have nobody anywhere near them. And, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels doing the same exact thing except for Ole Miss's cornerbacks were probably only 10 yards away instead of 15. So that's probably – Jaden Daniels had to deliver a little bit sharper of a ball in this game than Jackson Dart did because his guys were just burnt toasting the corners every single time. Pretty much an unbelievable game to watch. Um, not unbelievable in a good way, but unbelievable. Like you can't believe your eyes that the other that these two teams are scoring over thirty five points in a game right now. It's it's just crazy. It is not SEC football, and for some reason the SEC is starting to look like the Pac twelve. It's uh it's really interesting to me. Where where is the defense at? 
SEC. Where is it at? Because it's gone right now. We want it. Realignment back. has thrown them off. They they don't know who they are at this point. They they just have adopted the Pac-12 way. Yeah, the Pac-12 wants to play defense this year, or at least some of the teams that aren't USC and Colorado want to play defense this year. Um, but it's it's it doesn't make it's kind of weird to me to see everything like this going on. It's the SEC is usually you know defense, 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 and defense you and all these SEC schools, and they just seem like. They just can't get stops this year. They're just defense is just pitiful. There's just no defense right now um, in the SEC, and can't wait for one of these SEC schools to have to play uh, play a team that knows how to play defense this season. So, I guess maybe we saw Bama play Bama played Texas already, and we saw a little bit of Texas's good defensive line put some work in. But absolutely. And the thing that stood out for this game for me, just kind of one last thing. If you look at third downs in this one, Ole Miss was 9 of 16 on third downs. And then when they went for it on fourth down, they were 2 for 3. So if you look at it, they ended up converting 11 of those 16 chances if you take into account their their fourth down conversions as well. So, I mean, just outstanding offense there in the, uh, there in the money downs. Like, if you're 11 of 16 and converting third downs into first downs, you're going to win that game most of the time. So it held true and Ole Miss did. Yeah, I 100% agree. It was a, it was a game. It was a crazy game to see. And uh, I just can't get over this, this score total right now over, over a hundred points and combined. It's, that's, it's just crazy. It's, it's old, it's old big 12, it's old pac 12 football and, it doesn't belong in the SEC. So, well, let's go from a game that had over a hundred points to a game that had under thirty. We're going to the opposite end of the spectrum, and we are talking Notre Dame at Duke in a game that was a complete slugfest. It was thirteen zero. I mean, Duke was on zero for a long time in that game, and it wasn't because they were playing bad offense, but Notre Dame was outstanding defensively. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, touchy there down the stretch a little bit maybe nervy so uh allowed duke to come back and take a one point lead there in the fourth quarter but a big big time fourth and 16 conversion by sam hartman on the ground ran for the first down and then the very next play audrick Estime runs it in from 30 plus yards uh you would you could argue that he should have gone down earlier and then notre dame could have just kneeled on it and kicked some field goals so you didn't have to worry about uh you know, a following drive. That's been a theme lately. A lot of people aren't doing the, the NFL way of uh, going down before the end zone and securing the win. They are going for the uh, going for the jugular, going for those early touchdowns. Not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't love that. This game was difficult for me to watch. Just about the whole entire time I watched this game. Uh, the kick. You know. This kicker for me is an absolute killer on Notre Dame's team. This Spencer Schrader guy that we picked up and supposed to he's he's Legatron. This dude can kick freaking bombs. Like makes making 63 yarders in practice. But he now he's come out and he's missed two kicks with under 40 yards now. That should be makes all day tomorrow. Missed one against Ohio State, missed one this week. And then when you have the chance to put the kid on the field and show what his leg looks like from 53, we get a false start penalty and move back to 58. Kick the field goal. Kick it. 
He can make them from 63 in practice, just kick the field goal. I mean, show at least the show Irish fans why we're playing this guy, why we haven't gone and looked at the men's soccer team and picked somebody up yet. You know, there's got to be some guy on the men's soccer team that can make a 30 yard field goal, at least get it in between the uprights. It doesn't make any sense to play this guy. If you're not going to let him take the top off and kick a 58 yarder, why play him? God, it's it's frustrating to watch this guy come out two weeks in a row and miss the easiest field goals that you should be able to make. What do you think about the What do you think about Sam Hartman though? That fourth and sixteen, getting it with the with the ground on with his legs, and then uh, you know that was like the play of the game. That was the game, and he picked it up with with his legs. That was impressive to me. I completely agree. Sam Hartman is he's ballsy, you know, and I've heard a lot of talk about him today in the media where Sam Hartman's not that good of a quarterback. Sam Hartman looked like crap last night, yada, yada, yada. This guy last night was throwing to a receiving core that he hasn't played with all season because all three of his top receivers are out with tweaked hamstrings and got hurt in practice on Thursday and this, that, and the other. We're missing three receivers against a team that's very good defensively, very slept on defensively, a team that held Clemson to nothing points-wise. So imagine that when you don't have your receivers to play with. So, and not only do we not have receivers to play with, but every time he throws the ball, it hits the receiver in the hands and he drops it. I mean, the guys were, I mean, we probably had in that first half, we probably had six balls that were dropped. It's just, it's just ridiculous. We had nine pre-snap penalties in the first half for 45 yards. So we're false starting like crazy. Then the center fall starts one time, and then the next play he gets bull rushed and gets lets Sam Hartman get smoke showed. I'm like, take this guy off the field too. He's fired. On to the next. Let's go. He's not good anyways. If his name was Joe Alt, he can do whatever he wants. Um, it's just oh God. You know, Notre Dame could not have played a worse game and still won. I mean, they could not have played worse last night. They come out, they play at Duke, they play awful, and they still win. You have three receivers on your team that don't play in games. Duke's running man-to-man coverage, putting their guys on islands, and they're bringing the house every single play. That's why we can't run the ball, and that's why Sam Hartman feels the pressure every single time. Because we don't have receivers that are getting open. Our tight end's our leading receiver. That shouldn't happen. Two weeks in a row now. Not just one. Two weeks in a row. We need our receiving core back. It's plain and simple. Give us our receiving core, and we're doing much better. And we're rolling into a week against Louisville, who got put in the number 25 spot in the AP poll this week. So we're not playing We're not playing no cupcake Notre Dame usual schedule. We got some dogs on the schedule this year. So the dogs are out. We roll in. We, play, we played Ohio State. We played Duke. We played Louisville. And then we play USC the following week. We're getting four ranked teams four weeks in a row. And there's only one way to make our way back into the playoffs. So – I don't want. I wouldn't want anything else. Come out, smoke Louisville, and go to USC. Well, if I will say, I will be concerned if you can't score more than fourteen against the uh, the defenses of Louisville and USC. Got to see more offensively here coming up. Yeah, see, I'm not. My thing is, is I'm not worried about the defense by any means. Our defense is going to play ball. They're going to play ball. They're going to get stops. The defense is legit. I mean, they held Ohio State to just about nothing. They held Duke to just about nothing. I mean, the defense is legit. So I'm not worried about our defense by any means. Our offense has got some issues without a receiving core. But I don't think Louisville's – I don't think we're going to play a defense until 
Clemson that's going to have as stiff of a defensive line as Duke does. So you get the running game back converted in, and we're going to be fine. So I'm not too I'm not too worried about it. Um, it's it's win or go home for Notre Dame at this point. You, you got to win out. You don't have a choice. And even winning out every single game might not be good enough to make it in, but it's good enough to get a New York Six Bowl, I'm sure. Got to at least give yourself the chance. Yeah, I agree. It's a it, it was a disappointing game and. Notre Dame did every single thing they could do to blow it. I mean, getting offensive pass interference that late in the game about put us out completely. It's just – that's just a stupid penalty, stupid thing to do. Very – you could tell that these receivers on Notre Dame's team were very unexperienced, very unexperienced dudes. So, thank goodness our wide receiver Evans – or our tight end Evans is an absolute dog and said – it's good, coach. I'll put the team on the back my back this week, and I'll do everything you need me to do. So, don't understand why Duke wasn't like double manning this guy up, but uh, whatever. You know, it is what it is. You survived with a win. That's all that matters. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard was injured on their last offensive play of the game. Uh, left the field in crutches. So, hate to see that for a guy who's been. Uh, one of the media darlings of this year, so hopefully he has a speedy recovery from whatever his injury was. Uh, I have not seen what he was uh, exactly diagnosed with, but it didn't look great. So uh, speedy recovery out to him. But uh, let's keep it moving here. Let's go to let's go to Austin, where we have Texas, who was hosting number twenty four Kansas, and uh, Texas really dominated this game on the stat sheet. I know at halftime it was thirteen to seven, but while we were sitting there at our local pluckers, I turned to you. I said, Texas is absolutely dominating this game. They're outgaining Kansas by over 200 yards. This game is not going to be close. And in the second half, they made they made me look good. They outscored Kansas by uh, the score 27-7 to to end up winning by 26 points. And, uh, you know, this Texas team is built differently. They have the weapons offensively. They had over 300 yards rushing and receiving, or I guess passing. Uh, you know, a 200-yard rusher in Jonathan Brooks. You had A.D. Mitchell, who was over 100 yards receiving. You had uh, Xavier Worthy, who was near 100 yards receiving. Quinn Ewers looked great once again. He ran for two touchdowns in this one. So this Texas team is starting to trend as we head into Red River next week. Uh, interested in your thoughts on this one. How do you how do you feel about this game knowing that Texas played Kansas's backup quarterback? Is that is that something do you think this win is as significant without playing against Jaden or not Jaden Daniels? Playing against um Jalen Daniels, name? yes. Jalen yes. Daniels, that's it. You think this wins as significant without playing against that top tier of a QB? I think that this game would have been I don't know if I would per se say it would be closer but it would have been more of an impactful win, I think. Yeah, I mean, Bean and Jalen Daniels, obviously there's a talent difference, but their skill sets are pretty close to the same. They both like to do the same things offensively. They're both very gifted runners. It's just that uh, Jalen Daniels is a lot better as a passer. But, uh, you know, this Kansas team does their scheme regardless of who's a quarterback. And you saw it yesterday with some of their triple option stuff. Uh, they took a deep shot on a post early in the second half, and it connected. They got a touchdown off of it. So, 
I mean, this is a team who does what they do regardless of who's at quarterback. And, uh, I mean, as as far as, like, does it diminish the, the win? No. I mean, that Kansas team is still really good regardless. Their offense has been high-powered. Uh, they played without Jalen Daniels for large stretches of last year and still were a bowl team. So Bean is no slouch at the quarterback position. And, and what do you want him to do? Do you want him to say, oh, Jalen Daniels had back time this. We're postponing the game to next week. It's like, no, I mean – you just got to play the team who's out there. So I know they've played a few backups. They've played some teams that uh, maybe have not had as good of quarterback plays they have in the past. But, I mean, that's just who's on your schedule. They're still playing more talented teams than, say, uh, Oklahoma, who's played, you know, Tulsa and SMU. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I mean, it's just there's a talent gap there. Kansas and Bama, and Wyoming, who's a very good team. Uh, Rice has looked good at times this year, although that one was a bit concerning. But game one, we'll let it slide. And then Baylor. I mean, yesterday it came back from 28 down to beat UCF. I mean, that's a team that still is showing some fight. So, uh, Did you see that that scramble in that UCF game? He scrambles all over the field, spin around, runs all the way back to the end zone, and gets a first down, 16-yard conversion. It's just – Oh, just a circus play. Sorry, totally off topic. I love, I love Texas. I think they deserve to uh, to move up this week to number three. Uh, their run game was something superb this game, and it added on to the fact that they possessed the ball for almost forty minutes in this game. It at the at halftime, Etzel said that you know this game looked close, and it looked close on the scoreboard but it was not close by any means anywhere else. I mean, they came out, they they kind of exposed Kansas's offense. I mean, can't held Kansas's offense, an offense that probably was averaging 400 yards a game to under 300 this week. Uh, Texas's defense once again looks stifling all the way around. So impressive win for Texas, whether um, Jalen Daniels is playing or not. Still impressive either way. Should be a really uh, really fun game this upcoming week. At Red River. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can't wait for that one. Uh, next, let's hit a couple of more quick hitters. Uh, from Friday night, Oregon State whomped Utah 21-7 to at home. Uh, Utah still without Cam Rising in that one, and Oregon State pretty well dominated them from start to finish. Um, I know that's that's been a couple of days now, but any real takeaways from that one? Uh, yeah. Utah is – miserable on offense without cam rising their defense is still superb and i know i talked about it earlier in the pod that offensively they are as about as good as iowa um without cam rising in the game i mean their offense is just terrible they don't have a quarterback that can play get cam rising back and this is a team that could be a big threat to win the pac-12 they could be really a, a scary team they but they need a quarterback back they can't play the rest of the season without one especially in this uh, heavy slated Pac-12. So I wish Utah the best of luck. Hope that they they figure something out. Sucks that they had to play Oregon State this week without uh, without their quarterback. But that isn't, like Etzel said, uh, for Texas, that's not Oregon State's fault. So figure it out, Utah. Got to figure out something offensively. We feel bad for the defense. Agreed. Good win for Oregon State. Good bounce back spot after losing at Washington State. 
they come home short week, get a, a chance to rinse that out of their system quickly, and they do. So good win there. Uh, I am excited to watch this Pac-12 race unfold. There's so many good teams out there, and uh, you know we love our Huskies. We love we love a lot of teams out there, but it's going to be an exciting race down the stretch here coming up. So lastly, let's get into a game that uh, I certainly saw coming, but I'm not sure many of the uh, the quote-unquote experts out there did. Kentucky absolutely stomped all over Florida, 33 to 14. Their running back uh, Davis ran for 280 yards on the ground, and Florida and uh, Kentucky as a whole ran for over 300. Uh, this game was also not very close at all, and uh, I know this was going on at the same time as AM Arkansas, but we had it on the screen up there in the media center. So, uh, impressive win by Kentucky, wouldn't you say? Uh, given that uh, they were a favorite in the game, but over a ranked Florida team, I mean. That's three in a row that Kentucky's beaten Florida. That's got to mean something. You know, Florida, I I, knew, I know I said that Florida was going to win this game, and I apologize for lying. Uh, Kentucky's run game was just way too much for Florida. I thought the problem was is I knew Kentucky wanted to run the ball, and I thought Florida was good enough up front that they'd be able to muddy stuff up. And, in fact, they were not good enough up front to do really anything. I mean, 329 yards of total rushing offense in this game. Kentucky just did whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, Kentucky moves to 5-0 and and rightfully so gets put into the top 25. So uh, congratulations to a t- Kentucky team that um, deserve, deserves to be, uh, to be in the top 25. Um, however, they won't be in the top 25 after this week as they travel down to Athens to play Georgia. So c- congrats on your one week in the top 25. We'll be seeing you later. <laughs> more than likely it, so more than likely but congrats to them it's, a, a, it's an important win can you they actually have a stupid hard schedule moving forward i mean georgia georgia mizzou tennessee mississippi state bama south carolina louisville Ooh, just just yeah. dreadful just a dreadful rest of the year um feels bad they play the 6 6 p.m game in athens on Saturday, so that'll be uh, that'll be one to watch. We're we're excited for that. That might be four uh, out of their next might... five opponents are ranked. Oh, good grief! Yeah, yep. If uh, if Texas wasn't playing OU this week, that might be the uh, the game of the week. But indeed, it's not going to be. Bigger fr- fish to fry up there at the Cotton Bowl for sure. Yep. So. Uh... Looking forward to the next weekend, but uh, I think that'll do it for this weekend, which means coming up next is time for Triple G. Grayson, I'm sure, has something cooked up for his uh, gridiron game, so that will be coming up next. Triple G time, Grayson. It is your time to take the wheel. I am excited to see what you have cooked up today, so I will go ahead and toss it over to you. Let's go. You know, we started off this morning in out in London, England, where we see the Falcons play the Jaguars in kind of a, a tightly uh, a tightly slated one is what probably everybody thought that it would be. And the Jaguars kind of ran away with it early and kind of stayed there. I think the most uh, entertaining part about this game was the fact that they decided they were going to have the uh, Toy Story version of it on the bottom half of the screen with the little characters running around because – Besides that, this game was about as boring as you could possibly imagine. Um, not a whole bunch of scoring, and you know, Jacksonville went up seventeen zero, and it was kind of, 
kind of over from there. Wish uh, my boy Bijan though another another hundred yard game. So quit disrespecting him, Lions fans. Thanks. Uh, moving into watch, another watch game. Watch football next time. Watch football, Lions fans. <laughs> yeah, get your, get your eyes on the TV screen next time you're watching a game, pal. How about that? Um, another another game we're going to move into. Uh, the Vikings decided that they wanted to come out and get a win today against the Panthers. I know my boy Reed is just absolutely miserable about it right now. Um, the the race for Caleb Williams is over for the Vikings, and the Panthers move to zero and four. Uh, too bad, Panthers fans. Uh, Bryce Young, uh, you probably could have stayed without getting Bryce Young this year because you might have a slot at number one. Uh, moving on to another game, the Titans looked freaking fantastic, and the Bengals, once again, they are not a good team right now. Joe Burrows need to get, needs to get something figured out with that Achilles injury. He's playing like about as bad a football as you could possibly play for a guy of his status. 20 for 30 for 165 yards, and this team's offense is just unbelievably bad. 211 total yards on the day, and they're just not looking good. Two for nine on third down. You know, Joe Burrow gets sacked three times, and they fumble the ball once. So it's just not a not a good day for the Bengals fans and not a good year for Bengals fans as people probably thought they'd be really good this year, and they're moving on to one and three. Dude, getting whomped by the getting whomped by the Titans, that is tough. Yeah. Getting murked by the Titans is is a tough scene for sure. Moving on to a team that uh, you know, I don't know how big everybody was on them at the beginning of the year, but I think everybody's getting back on the Baker Mayfield bandwagon. As the uh Buccaneers moved to three and one today, beating the Saints 26 to 9. Baker Mayfield, 246, three touchdowns, uh, 25 for 32. Dude's just putting in work. And he put in that work with Mike Evans missing the second half of that game today. So Chris Godwin kind of had to put the team a little bit on his back. And Baker Mayfield decided that nobody else he'd want to throw the ball to than him, as Chris Godwin had eight receptions for 114 yards. Love to uh, love to see Chris Godwin have a have a good game offensively. We love it. Dolphins Bills, you know, tough game there. You know, game of a game where we probably thought there would be a lot of high scoring and seeing the Bills defense today wanted to come out and play a little bit of a, you know, defense for the first time this season. Josh Allen came out and just absolutely went crazy and decided that he was going to throw the ball to my fantasy wide receiver Stefan Diggs for six receptions, 120 yards and three tutties. Uh thank you Josh. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work out there in uh in Buffalo. Uh, another another comment on that game, uh, A-Chain, or Achan, had another eight carries for 101 yards and two touchdowns. So the guy is rolling. Wouldn't be surprised if he was the uh, – if he moved into more of a more of a starting role and was going to get more touches than Raheem Mostert in the future. Wouldn't be surprised. That's a good problem for them to have, though. That's uh, Those are two really talented running backs that uh, Mike McDaniel can absolutely cook with. Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, Broncos bears. What a terrible game. Bears go up 28 to zero. I believe. No, I'm lying. They go up 28 to seven and decided that they were just going to choke in the second half of this game. Justin Fields, position is just not looking too good right now. Bears slide to zero and four 
and their chances are growing significantly to getting that Caleb Williams bid. We love it. As of right now, they have the number one and number two overall picks with the Panthers also being 0-4. So uh, obviously we're, we're so early in this, but uh, there's, a, there's a legit chance they could have two top five picks. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, Commanders-Eagles was kind of a sweat fest today. You know, the Commanders came back late in this game, ended up putting 14 in the fourth quarter and, you know, tying it up. And then Eagles, Commanders received ball in OT and Eagles stopped him and kicked a field goal. And that's about all she wrote as the uh, the Eagles moved to 4-0. Um, interesting game. What do you got on this one, Ed? Yeah, so uh, Ron Rivera, I need you to return your nickname of Riverboat. You can't have a nickname associated with being a gambler. If when you score the the touchdown with zero seconds left on the clock, you kick the extra point to go to overtime instead of going for two in the win, uh, yeah, please return your Riverboat and your man card. Thank you very much to uh, Mr. Rivera for for coming out in that one. But a predictable result. Once it went to overtime, it's like, yeah. You missed your chance. Sorry about it. Oh, God. Freaking freaking love it. That's funny. Uh, moving into another game that was kind of, you know, stacked up, chalked up, blowout today. Uh, Texans absolutely have their way with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh looked awful on offense today. And Kenny Pickett had 114 yards passing and an interception. Is this Steelers offense just – they just washed. Are they just, you know, do they need to just pack it up? I mean, what what do we need to do on offense to get to get it, everything back and working? I mean, you have 225 yards of total offense against a Texans team that doesn't have I mean, not a bad defense, but by no means a good one. Um Kenny Pickett gets sacked 3 times in this game and just not just not a good one for for the boys. Etzel wants me to apologize for the CJ Stroud take. Um, when you pass over 55% completion percentage, I will, I will apologize, but until then stop having a 55% completion percentage, be better. There's no reason to throw that many incompletions still had 306 yards passing and two touchdowns, but nonetheless, bad completion percentage be better. I hate to see that from you. You know, what else does he need to do? I mean, 16 of 30 granted is not great, but I mean, they're winning some ball games here. What what else does CJ need to do to get that apology from you? He needs to he needs to get uh rookie offensive rookie of the month two months in a row, and then we'll we'll be talking. Get it get it go. one more well, month in a row, okay? As we speak, yeah. the Cowboys just returned another interception for a touchdown. So uh, I feel very bad for whoever is playing Mr. Winters in fantasy football. Uh, that is two defensive scores by his defense already. And it is uh, still the first half. Etzel knows all about that, uh, all about that Cowboys defense as I played them in week one of fantasy football and they decided they were going to score 45 for me. Uh, Just an ideal situation. I don't need any other players on my team, just the Cowboys defense. It's simple. Uh, Moving into a, we're, we're, we're recording this in the middle of the day. Uh, It's four, like almost five o'clock right now. So the three twenty-five games are all about to hit halftime. So any game, we don't know what the final score of these games are going to be. I'm saying that out of confidence because the Raiders are down 7-24. to We don't know what the final score is going to be. They might come back and win. You never know. Um, for the other games, though, it looks like the Cowboys are going to run away with it 21-3 to right now. 
And the 49ers are up 21 to 9 on the Cardinals. They'll probably move to 4 0. So Raiders are not looking good offensively. Would really love it if we could throw the ball to uh, any receiver on our team, as uh, Josh Jacobs is leading us in receptions right now with four for 33 yards, and he's our running back. Um, so Aiden O'Connell, man, you know, we're, we're working on it. Find, find Devontae. He so far has the best receiver in the league has zero receptions for zero yards. So don't, uh, don't ruin my fantasy chances, guys, please. <laughs> so that's all we got tonight. We got two, we got two games or one game tonight. We got chiefs jets, which as many people could probably guess if the chiefs lose this game, that it's probably bad news in Kansas city. And then you have giant Seahawks and, by the tell of how the Giants have played the first uh, three weeks of football, I would probably guess that the Seahawks have a good chance of running away with that one. So stay tuned for uh, for next week when I throw up a 16-leg parlay on the NFL for our um, parlay of the parlay of the year. So I have to uh, I have to flip something around as uh, I lost Monopoly Buckskin this week. So. We're, we're, we're getting back to it, but it's it's a slow process. We're going to go $100 to a half a mil this week. So I, I don't think we'd be able to catch you if you were able to somehow snipe that. But, uh, you know, it was a good week for me on the picks. I was uh, undefeated. My round robin came through all four of them won. And then, of course, uh, the Europeans won on, on home soil there. We'll get to that in odds and ends here. But uh, – Let's go ahead and move into odds and ends. So that will be coming up next after this break. We're going to do a quick little Ryder Cup debrief, and then we are going to come up with our GT counter NCAA football top five. We are going to put it out there. We're going to put our reputation on the line for these top five teams. So we will do that coming up next. All right, Grayson, it is time for odds and ends. A little bit of an abbreviated version today, uh, we're not going to do a, a true like uh, draft or wavelength or anything like that. We'll just uh, we'll stick to the sports today, and we've got a couple of things that we have to do. So, number one, the Ryder Cup was this past weekend, and as I predicted on Thursday's pod uh, or Friday's pod, actually we recorded for Friday last week, uh, the the Europeans absolutely whomped the Americans over in Rome at Marco Simone Golf Club in Rome, and. Uh, it was 16 and a half to 11 and a half. And to be honest, it really wasn't that close. Uh, the Americans did not w- win a single match until the second day of the competition. They did not win any of the first eight matches of the, of the event. Uh, they were at one point down by nine and a half points in the, uh, in the event. And uh, they got lucky to make it as close as it was. They had to do uh, some things yesterday to, uh, to get that thing even to be respectable. In singles uh, on Sunday, they actually did tie the session at 6-6. Six to six. But uh, let's just go through some of these names. I want you to tell me if you were uh, encouraged or disappointed by their performance this week. So I'll just list off a name, and I will tell you their record for the week, if that uh, works for you. So if you're ready, I will go ahead and jump right into this. We have Scotty Scheffler who was 0-2-2 two, and two for the week, did not win a single point. So uh, obviously that's going to be a pretty discouraging one there. But uh, anything on Scotty for you? 
You know, I'm a little bit discouraged on this one, but it's tough. I mean, you, you said you could say you're discouraged as much as you want, but he played both days in four ball and he played against the best player in the world. Um, I know he's the number one ranked player in the world, but he played against John Rom all day long. Um, and he tied he tied John Rom in, in two of the events that were were big time. So and then tied him today in solo standing. So no, I'm not overly discouraged by Scotty. I think if Scotty Scheffler matches up against just about everybody on this European team, besides Victor Hovland and maybe how good Rory played this weekend, I think that he probably holds on and beats just about anybody else um, today. So uh, maybe not, maybe not Ludwig either. But well, those those four guys, I think he could just beat just about beat anybody else. I would say. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Not a great week for him. Uh, obviously, when he and Brooks Kepka were beat 9-7 and seven on uh, Saturday, that was not very good. So, hate to see that. Uh, let's go ahead and move on into the next one. We've got John Rahm, who went, I believe, 3-1 and one this week, or 3-0-1. Three, three oh uh, he tied his match with Scotty Scheffler in the Sunday singles. But uh, he looked like he was back to being one of the top players in the world this week. Played really well. So I uh, have to think you'd be pretty encouraged by him as well this week. Yeah, I'm encouraged by him. Did they did they end up winning day one? I think they tied. Didn't they tie Scotty and uh, Scotty in the first day? In the two ball? Um, I they tied. Maybe in one of them. I know that the, uh, the Europeans in one of the sessions, they swept it. But I think you're right in that afternoon. I think they, yeah. they got a tie out of them. Yeah, I think him and uh, him and Kepka tied Rom and Ludwig in, or not Ludwig, uh, Nikolai Hogard or whatever oh, his name Hoygard, is. Yeah. Hoygard, yeah. I think they tied in a, in a four ball on in the second half of day one, I believe. Um, yeah, there. Uh, yes, I mean, you John are correct. Rom's, he went uh, two zero and two. That is right. Yeah, John Rom is impressive. I mean, there's no other way around it. This guy is just. You know, you watch that four ball round and Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka are up two um, going to the last couple holes of the day. And John Rahm chips one off the green into the center of the hole and then puts a 30 footer on 18 for it for two eagles and three holes, puts a 30 footer on 18 that goes up the hill and back down right into the center of the cup. And Brooks Kepka's pissed. So he does his interview after and he's like, I don't think that this guy's a good golfer. I think he's lucky and yada, 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 and, you know, keep crying, Brooksy. John Rahm is a dude. So um, you could say whatever you want, why you guys tied this, that, and the other, but how about uh, how about instead of uh, birdieing six holes in a row, you get an eagle every now and then like John Rahm does. So it was impressive. It was an impressive uh, impressive feat for uh, them, especially in day one. I didn't watch much of the stand- the solos today, um, but I'm sure if, if he tied Scotty, he had to have been playing some crazy golf, so. Impressive day. Impressive weekend. Yep. Yep. So just two more that I want to get to. Uh, number one, let's hit Rory. He went 4-1 and one this week. He was the top point getter in the competition. Uh, yesterday afternoon, he was involved in some craziness with the uh, – did you see the whole thing with Cantlay and his caddy was getting in the way of his line and they were yelling at each other in the parking lot? Did you see anything about that? I think I did see something about it. I didn't. I didn't look too much into that. What what exactly happened? Yeah. So uh, Cantlay made a long putt on 18 yesterday to win the match against Rory McIlroy, and uh, so 
uh, Cantley's caddy is out there, and he uh, he's just like kind of in Rory's way, just being real weird about uh, what he's doing. So uh, it was it was a bit strange. So Rory yells at him on the green, and then they get to the parking lot after, and he just starts screaming at uh, at Cantley's caddy. And he was like, "Yeah, it's just gonna fire us up going into tomorrow." It was, it was the weirdest thing, and it was all because, uh, you know, Cantley's been getting a lot of heck because he was saying that players should be paid for the Ryder Cup, this, that, and the other. I don't know; it's a whole lot of junk. But, uh, but yeah, so Rory used that as motivation. He came out and won today, three and one. He went four and one over the course of the event, and it was an absolute stone cold killer. That's a dude who I would not want to see in international competition. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like he could play in these things forever and just just win four points for, for, for Europe every time. It's it's truly impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually saw uh, Rory hit a drive that was like a 378-yard carry or something on, on Friday afternoon and, you know, Watching those guys, and especially watching Rory hit the golf ball, that's something that you got to see in person at least one time. If you're a golf guy, you got to see Rory McIlroy hit the ball one time off the driver. His apex and the height he gets off of his drive when he hits it is like nothing you've ever seen before. You could play a thousand rounds of golf with random people, and you'll never see anybody that can hit a ball at the same exact apex that he hits. And it is absolutely crazy. His ball looks like it was shot out of a cannon when he hits it. It's it's just nuts. He's uh he's impressive. I'm glad he's getting getting back on track because I know he's had a he's had a rough kind of kind of not a rough year, but you know, a rough couple tournaments this year. So especially a rough couple of majors this year. Including yeah, the uh, absolutely. including the yeah, including the Masters when he, he kind of screwed me over a little bit. So that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so uh He's an absolute dog, especially in these Ryder Cups. Uh, a stone-cold killer, and uh, he proved that again this week for sure. Then one more for the Americans. It was his first Ryder Cup. Max Homa goes 3-1-1, one, one, gets three and a half points, only American to play all five matches, and honestly made a big name for himself out there. I mean, he was on a time where a lot of the Americans didn't exactly look like they were that invested in the tournament. Uh, he was out there. He was fist pumping. He was talking his mess to the crowd. It was really encouraging to see, especially from Max, who is such a crowd favorite. Uh, Got to help. Can't help but be encouraged by by his play, especially to, like just throughout this year. He stacked up some wins, and then in this team event, he's the highest American point getter. Like it can't get any better for Max this week. I gotta say, I was I was truly impressed by what he did. Yeah, no, he played he played terrific all week. He had a couple of a uh, couple of pretty fantastic shots, and it's uh it's impressive. And it kind of feels bad for him that he scored uh scored that many points, and we just couldn't still couldn't pull out a win or do anything. So it stinks. Um, I think the Americans will hopefully realize this year that uh, if you're if we don't have Bryson DeChambeau playing in an alternate shot, we're just absolutely stupid to not have him out there. It just doesn't make – I mean, if you're the coach and you're picking, it doesn't make any sense not to pick the guy that hits the ball the farthest on the tour. I don't care if he plays for Liv, Biv, or if he plays overseas in the Japanese league. I don't care what he plays in, okay? That dude is 
when his driver is hot, he's hot. And when his putter is – I don't even say when his putter is hot. He's always hot with the putter. He's the best putter and debatably the best putter on the tour. So, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense to not to not have this guy at least there to try to score some points in alternate shot. So, I think that's kind of a kind of a loss by the U.S. And I kind of think Zach uh, Zach Johnson is kind of a kind of an idiot. Um, just terrible, terrible, uh, horrible. He was coach. a bad captain. Yeah, terrible, terrible. I mean, he goes and tells um. He tells Jordan Spieth on one of those holes that don't hey you were hitting your driver bad don't hit hit three wood and Jordan pushes it right into the lake. I mean just terrible coach all day long just horrible. So not a the U.S. did it to themselves. They gotta they gotta be they gotta be better than that. They gotta pick better players. Um, I could have re- I could have easily seen Cam Young in here in here instead of Sam Burns. Um, not sure why we why we picked him, but you know gotta be gotta be better and. Got to be better next year. Yep, absolutely. So uh, let's go ahead and move into our last thing today. We are going to put together our GT Counter Consensus Top 5 ranking for the college football teams. I think there's a – I don't know what you're thinking on this one, but I think I have my five pretty well set. So let's start at uh, number five. Give me your team. I'll go with my team, and then we'll discuss it out and uh, – We'll find our consensus there. So I want to see your number five team in the country. Oh, gosh. You know, number five for me, and this might be, you know, this might be seen as a team that, you know, don't that people might not understand why I have them at five. But to me, I think the team that you got to put at five has got to be this this Michigan football team. They haven't really played anybody at all this year. Um, have they won every game? Has their defense looked good? Yes. They're not letting other teams score a lot of points, but they're also not scoring a lot of points. I mean, they beat Nebraska. They beat the crap out of Nebraska today. They really just haven't played anybody, and they really haven't looked like extremely dominant. And to me, it doesn't seem like they need to drop down to number five because they're not doing anything wrong, and they can't help the fact that they're not playing anybody. But, you know – you should be scoring 60 points on UNLV. You should be scoring 60 points on Bowling Green. I mean, it's simple as that. You can't beat UNLV 35 to 7. You can't beat Bowling Green 31 to 6 and expect to be the number two ranked team in the country. The way you guys treated Nebraska this week is how you should have been treating teams all season long. So I would I think Michigan, and not because I don't think Michigan's going to be in the college football playoffs. I think based off of what their schedule looks like, that they're the number five team right now. Okay, I can I can respect that. Um, I'm going to go a different direction with mine. I'm going to say that Florida State is the number five team in the country just because their list of wins is a bit more impressive. Um, I don't think they deserve to be ranked as highly as they are. I think in the AP poll they're number four. I don't think they deserve to be number four just some because of some of the close calls they've had. But I do think resume-wise they're a top five team. Uh, as of this point, that doesn't mean I think they'll be there at the end, but just as of right now, a win at Clemson and a win over a currently ranked LSU team and a highly ranked LSU team whenever they played them. I think Florida State deserves the nod over Michigan there, in my opinion. So uh, let's come to a consensus there between these two teams. If these teams played each other today, who do you think would be 
would be ranked ahead? And if so, do you think Florida State would be – well, I guess I'll ask you this. Do you have Florida State ranked higher than I do? No, I don't. I have Florida State out of the top five. Okay. I think I think that uh, Florida State shouldn't be shouldn't be in the in the top five. I don't think. I mean, they pe- they barely beat Clemson. I mean, Clemson's a good team. Don't get me wrong. I'm scared when Notre Dame has to play them. But I don't think Florida State's that good of a team. Uh, they've had a couple of uh, of rough games. I mean, they barely beat who they play before Clemson. They barely beat Boston College. Boston College by two points. So, yeah, I, I think Florida State's riding on the coattails of a big LSU win that they had early. And as we saw the other day, LSU, or as we saw yesterday, LSU has no defense. So, of course, they look like freaking superstars when they go and play LSU because LSU's not that good of a team. I don't think Florida State's top five. Um, and I think that if Florida State made the playoffs that they would get assaulted by any of these teams that are in the in the top you know, give me the top ten right now. I think Florida State gets assaulted by any of them. So, I don't think I don't think Florida State deserves to be in the top five. Okay, that's fine. I will. Uh, I'll come around on that. I do think if these teams played today, that Michigan would be a favorite on neutral site. So I'll give Michigan the nod there. Uh, we'll, we will throw them in the number five spot. So uh, let's move into number four. I'll go for number four. We can kind of snake this around. Well, we'll just go. We'll go back and forth. Uh, you'll do five, okay. three, one, and I'll do two and four. So okay. uh, for me, my number four team in the country, it's I'm going to go with Georgia. I don't think that they've played the schedule that allows them to sleepwalk through these games, and that they, the fact that they have sleptwalked through all these games, I don't think they deserve to be the number one team. And quite frankly, I don't think they deserve to be two or three either. So just due to the respect that they've. Uh, quite frankly, earned over the years for their performances in the last two years, winning championships. I think that keeps them in the top five. But, you know, I just don't think this is a team that deserves to be top three in the country. So Georgia, for me, is my number four. I like it. I like Georgia at four there. I think they haven't played anybody yet, and I think they're sleepwalking through games, and they slept walk through Auburn and almost lost this past weekend. So, I can't wait for them to play a team of uh, competition because I don't think Carson Beck's very good, and I think Brock Bowers can't carry you to every win this season. So that's just my my personal thoughts on it. Moving into number three, and a team that's actually number seven in the AP polls this week, and I know that they did not play that good in their game on Saturday against Arizona, but I think Washington deserves to be in this number three spot. And if Washington does deserve to be in this number three spot, then they'll come out and show some business to Oregon on Saturday in their matchup. Or actually, not this Saturday, the following Saturday. Washington has a bye this week. I apologize. But yeah, yeah I think uh, I think Washington's got to be your your number three seeded team here. They're just they're massacring teams that they've played. Um, I. I mean, yeah, have they played anybody overly great? Probably not. But they, I think that they've just – every single team they've played, they've actually given the business. So I think it only makes sense to have them in the number three spot. I mean, they give – beat Michigan State 41-7. to So if that tells you anything you need to know, I think that this Washington team is is pretty legit. They played Arizona tight, but I don't know – I don't know how bad Arizona is. I mean, they're 3-2 and two right now. But, you know, Arizona might be a – a better team than we probably 
I think they are. I mean, they barely beat Stanford, but they lost to Mississippi State. I don't know. Maybe Arizona played a played a really good game. But yeah, I think Washington, you could easily see them at the three spot. And if you don't see Washington there, then I could also see Penn State, maybe. Um or or I mean, I don't know. I would I, I would want I could say that you could see Ohio State there. Um, but then it makes me think in my head, who do we put at two and one? So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Washington at three. I'm I'm torn here with my top three. Um I think as of right now, my top three teams are gonna be Texas, Washington, and I would have to go with Ohio State just off of the quality of their Notre Dame win. I don't know if you feel the same way of those being the top three. Is that what you have? That's that's what I had. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I would flip Washington to number two, but I'm fine with okay. them being in the number three hole. Uh, you know, they probably deserve to be knocked down a peg from uh, that Arizona win last night, but uh, it wasn't convincing by any means. So I'm fine with Washington under three there. I would have Ohio State, but nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong with that. So uh, let's go to number two. And uh, I have Washington, but in lieu of Washington being number three, I'm going to put Ohio State in the two spot. Uh, the quality win at Notre Dame, I think, carries a lot of weight to put them over teams like Florida State. Michigan, Georgia, and then uh, Washington uh, being in the three spot. They haven't beaten exactly anybody great yet either. So the quality of Ohio State's win, uh, that would be who I would throw in the two spot there. They haven't looked that impressive elsewhere, but but that win for me carries a lot of weight. So interested on your, on your thoughts with Ohio State in the two. I think Ohio State does deserve to be in the two, and I think Texas deserves to be number one right now. They have – I mean, they're playing – so far they've played the hardest schedule of any of these teams in this top five, and they've looked impressive in every single game they've played in. I mean, ex- exception Wyoming, who's also a very good team, like you said, and first game jitters against Rice. I think the last couple of weeks they've come out and looked absolutely dominant since Alabama. Um, I think Texas is, is a really good – is a really good team, and I would probably have them here in that number one spot. And I think if they come out and they put the hurting on number 12 Oklahoma this week, that there's almost a, a definite that they'll they could jump up to that uh to that one or two spot. Definitely. I so agree with out. you there. I think I think Texas has had the most impressive win, the double digit win at Alabama. And then otherwise their average margin of victory is twenty four points. So they're they're doing what they have been supposed to do, unlike some of these other teams. So I agree. Texas deserves to be number one. And they can definitely solidify that if they beat Oklahoma this week. So I agree. I agree. What else did you have there? I kind of cut you off a little bit. No, I think I, I think that's it. All I had. I think Texas deserves to be number one. I don't think Georgia and Michigan have played anybody so far. And I'm not saying they're bad teams by any means, but I want to see them play. You know, a good a good program. And in due time, it's not their fault that their schedules, you know, how it is right now, but. Georgia probably won't lose a game the whole entire season and they have to, they'll play in the SEC championship to decide if they're a playoff team because their strength of schedule is just really, really piss poor week. Um, 
And I think that a Georgia team that sleepwalks through every single game this whole entire year because they don't play anybody on their schedule doesn't deserve to be the number one team in the country. Just doesn't. Give it to those teams that give them to the teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Texas that are actually going to play a real life schedule. Uh, give it to a, the team that wins this Pac-12 that's going to play a real life schedule. I mean, it's simple as that. Georgia doesn't really play anybody, and it's kind of a it's not senseless, but it's it's kind of annoying to see them hop in that number one spot and stay there. So excited for them to play Kentucky this weekend, but I don't know if that's even going to be. To matter overly. I mean, the best team they have left on their schedule is Ole Miss. And do we actually think Ole Miss, are we actually sold on Ole Miss? I mean, no, probably not. You know, I mean, they got, they got, I mean, they lost to Bama by pretty well by 14, two possessions. Um, I don't know if we're sold on, if we're sold on Ole Miss either. So, and that's the best team left on this, uh, this Georgia team schedule. So we'll see. That we will. They have to go play the games. They have to start looking better. If not, then I don't think it's even a discussion. So that is our consensus top five. We've got Michigan at five, Georgia at four, Washington at three, Ohio State at two, and Texas on top at number one. I think that's a solid list. I think that is – those are definitely, I think, the top five teams in the country. And, uh, you know, order maybe can be debatable. But I think think those have been – those teams deserve to have those top five rankings. I'd have to, I'd have to agree with our consensus. Yeah, and I'll and I'll say something. The viewers that are watching or listening, I guess you would say, don't uh, don't assault us on Twitter for this rankings. Do we think that Texas is going to win the national championship? We're not sure. It's super early in the year still. You know, they they have a chance, but based off of who teams have played and what everybody's played. That's the top. That's the top five that we think. Not based off of who we think is going to win the national championship. It's based off of strength of schedule and how teams have looked in their strength schedule, and that's how we should base it off of. So that's how we're feeling. Uh, if you uh, if you don't like our uh, our decision, we'll put a comment section in the in the Spotify for you to uh, tell us who your top five is. So that's right. You could always rank it yourself, you people. Come on. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll read them off if they're just not, you know, just doesn't want to make me turn off my computer by reading them. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll Put we'll your name the, to it. Take some ownership. Yeah, we'll see what the viewers have. We might expose you if you uh, if you have just an absolutely terribly slanted one. So, might let everybody know. If you come at the Kings, you best not miss. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. Grayson, anything else for the people before we wrap up and get out of here on this one? Not that I have. I think I'm uh I think I'm pretty good. I think that we had a uh an excellent weekend at Cowboy Stadium and just want to thank the Cotton Bowl once again for giving us that opportunity. It truly was was a blessing and hope to uh hope to come back for a, a Big 12 championship and the Cotton Bowl this year to uh to uh you know be there in the press box and be able to give our input on on everything so uh thank you the people of uh of the cotton bowl and hope to see you guys soon couldn't agree more it was an outstanding weekend and uh thank you all for the interactions online and the kind words we greatly appreciate it and we hope to do it again here sometime soon so 
That'll do it for the GT Counter Podcast. For Grayson, my name is Tyler. We will see you on Thursday for our weekend recap. And uh, until then, have a good Monday. Be the man in the arena. and uh, Go kill it this week. We will see you Thursday.